Happy Easter! You know, I don't know about you, but for me, as a child, Easter was a somewhat confusing time. And the reason was, is there were these two competing stories going on. One, of course, was the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But, but what that resulted in for me was the one Sunday a year that my mom cared more than any other time of me looking perfect at church. And so I couldn't have a stain, a blemish. I couldn't have a wrinkle. I would be dressed in a full suit with a choking tie. And I would come and have to endure a very long ceremonial church service. And I, I, I knew that I shouldn't think this way, but ashamedly I felt this way any, anyhow because I, I was hoping to get through church as fast as possible to get to that oh-so-coveted egg hunt. You know, th this was the, the only Sunday of the year that I could eat all the candy I wanted and not get in trouble. And it wasn't just candy, it was chocolate bunnies. <laughs> and not just chocolate bunnies, but peeps. Oh, those peeps. The blue, the pink. Now, I mean, kids have it so good now. There are so many colored peeps these days. It's, it's amazing. Here's the thing. If I, if I thought too long and hard about the Easter bunny, I actually kind of got freaked out as a kid. I don't know about you, but I envisioned the Easter bunny as a human-sized, full-grown man bunny in a purple velvet suit. There's just nothing appealing about that. So I had this window that looked out in our yard, and I would kind of sneak up to the window in some ways wanting to get a, get a glimpse of that Easter bunny. On the other side, my heart would be pounding because I was freaked out to come face-to-face -face with that massive furry beast. So uh, it was this week, someone sent me a little clip that I thought depicted well our two competing themes that we have of Easter. And I want to show that to you before we get started this morning. Happy Easter. Hey, man, how are you? Happy Easter. It's going to hey, be bro. great. No. <laughs> no, no happy Easter for me. Happy Easter. Happy Easter's like one of... Easter's the best holiday of the year. It's like when we celebrate... The risen Savior. I mean, it's the perfect holiday. Yeah, and a really creepy rabbit comes to your door and leaves stuff on your door. But that's just the secular part of the holiday. Don't worry about the Easter Bunny. We're talking about risen Savior. We're talking about salvation, redemption, the risen Savior. Like, that's uh, Easter. We're talking about a rabbit that comes on your property, trespasses, and leaves stuff on your doorstep, a.k.a. littering. Listen, what you need to do in order to, like, get past all these problems you have with Easter is just forget about the Easter Bunny stuff and just remember it for what it's for. It's for Jesus and the resurrection. That's what it's kind of hard to do when you're thinking about a big man-sized rodent coming in your house, breathing on your neck while you're sleeping, and leaving eggs around which rot and smell up your property. And rabbits don't even lay eggs. So what's that all about? Okay. You, you have to realize that the Easter Bunny is just this made-up holiday-like tradition. It's not real. There's not a uh, real man-sized rodent yeah. that comes into your house. You need to remember Easter for what it is. It's about the resurrection of Jesus and our salvation. I'll tell you what I'm going to do if Easter Bunny comes into my house. I'm going to give him a 12-gauge headache. And we're going to be eating rabbit stew for lunch on Easter. That's what I'm going to be doing with my family. Okay. Okay. That's great. Peace be with you this Easter. And I'll tell you. Powerful. <laughs> awesome. 
You know, I, uh, on a serious note, we, we do seem to have these two competing stories at Easter, and I find that oftentimes, if you really got honest with your life, we have two competing stories for the trajectory of our life's journey. You know, one, one I would say is this, it's our pursuit, it's our own pursuit of happiness, of fulfillment, of seeking after joy. On the other side, it's God's pursuit, God's pursuit of us and his plan for our own lives. So there's these two competing journeys, and, and Jesus knew that. And today I want to look at a story that was told 2,000 years ago that, that poignantly depicts these two competing stories, our pursuit and the Father's pursuit, because I think it's still fitting some 2,000 years ago. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, this is something we'd love to give you for Easter as a gift to you. The Word of God is living and active, and it's the best thing that we can hand to you. So raise your hand if you don't have a Bible, and let's put it in your hand. And if you turn with me to Luke chapter 15, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third gospel. We're going to look starting in verse 11 at a very well-known story, perhaps Jesus's most famous parable. It's called the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. So follow along with me as I read. It says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. I'm sure he said it just like that in a New York accent. Father. So he divided his property between them. So, so catch this, church. Get, get into this scenario. The son was basically asking for the inheritance before the father had died. He was basically slapping the father in the face and saying, I'd rather you be dead. I just want your money. I want what's mine. I want what's coming to me. Give me my share. Give me mine. And you see, that's our own pursuit. No one has to teach us as a child to say mine, right? You don't have to say, now, little Johnny, whenever you want something, just look at your sister and go, mine. We don't have to teach that. It's just something that kids naturally do. Mine, 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 right? I mean, that's something we're trying to train our kids not to do. It reminds me of the seagulls in Finding Nemo. Remember, the fish lands and like, mine, 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 you know? That's just a natural human response. I want my share. But you see a second person in the story that's a father. And this father is a loving father. This father is a releasing father. He's not a controlling father. And so the father actually divides up the inheritance and gives it to the son. Now, this brings me to point one of the gospel. Gospel just simply means good news. Point one, if you're taking notes today, is this. God is a loving father. And he has a wonderful plan for your life. Jesus is telling the story for us to understand what God is like. And the first thing we see is that God is seen as a loving father who has a wonderful, loving plan for his children. Now we keep moving on to see what happened. It says this in verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He takes his inheritance, and it says he sets off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. I, I want to tell you, this is my story, ashamedly. 
This was me. I said, I want mine. I want my share. I want my happiness. I want my fulfillment. I want my contentment. And, you know, I set about to find it in some pretty normal ways that people choose. I, I, I tried to excel academically. I, I tried to have successes and victories in sports. I tried to find it in relationships. It also led me into some more sinful activities like sexual experimentation or partying. This is so many of our story. Today I want you to watch three of my friends as they tell how these events transpired in their lives. If you'd watch the screen for these stories. I was just looking for a community. I went to SDSU. I didn't know anybody, so I saw that fraternities were very big in SDSU, so I joined one, and I started to engage in their lifestyle. Drinking, um, drug use, partying, um, you know, hanging out, things like that. It all kind of spiraled downhill. I ended up getting in a relationship with uh, a girl. At one point, she did something, and I was just extremely mad at her. I decided to go and just drink, just go to a bar with a few friends and just get drunk. And I started drinking a lot that night, and I actually met up one of my alumni fraternity brothers there, and he started buying me drinks, and we just got really, really drunk. And I ended up getting in the car with him. He was driving, and he was going to take me home. So my father was in the Navy for 42 years. He was on sea duty most of the time, didn't have much interaction with any of the four of us kids. My mom raised us by herself. Um, he was a brutal, brutal man, physically, uh, verbally. Thought my sister and I were just trash because we were girls. Um, and my brothers were uh, the top of the chart. Um, he beat us a lot. He was verbally abusive. Smoked pot for the first time when I was 12. And, uh, and then I started using uh, hard street drugs when I was 20 and uh, didn't stop until I was uh, 37 years old. I was always angry. Um, I cried continually. I could never find happiness ever. Um, I had so much fear from my past life, from my ex-husband and um, the way I was treated in the family um, that it was just unbearable. I think I was looking for success and trying to be the best that I could be in my job in the Navy. And I wanted to seek adventure and it was all for myself. I was saved when I was 12. So as I stepped into the military, I stepped on slippery slope and that was for me. It was a downward spiral of partying and drinking and um, I was getting fed things that were not life-giving, but I thought that it would bring me success in the community that I was in. So I bought into that 100%. I was just living the lifestyle that I was brought up to live in that community, where you could have one lifestyle at home and another lifestyle out and away, training and working, and you're able to do that through just lying your face off. I was doing that, and I was doing that for a few years. When I met my wife, I was actually drunk when I met her, and she didn't want anything to do with me that night. But the next morning, she felt like she just needed to contact me. We started a long-distance relationship. It was a great relationship, but I was definitely keeping a curtain up. I had two lifestyles going on. 
She knew that I would go out and party or go out and drink, but she didn't know to what extent. I ended up cheating on her. It was a lie that I kept to myself for over a year and a half. You see, Brady and Kelly and Carlo, they all felt these different needs in their heart. Carlo was looking for community. He wanted excitement, like many college students are searching for. Kelly, she's trying to escape the pain from her past, the pain that came from her family of origin, so she's trying to cope with that and hide away her sorrows. Brady is looking for success, looking for fulfillment, chasing after it in his career, and then jumping into the activities, different ones that he saw in his organization were walking into. It led them, all of them, into a path of sin. You know, this is where my journey went. I, I went my own way, my own pursuit, and I found myself in activities that were not holy, were not pure. The Bible says this in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53 describes it this way. It says, we all like sheep have gone astray each to his own way. There's not a person in this room, in fact, there's not a person in this whole world that hasn't sinned. And even the things that you haven't done, you could say, well, I've never actually committed adultery, but have you thought it in your mind? I've lied, I've cheated, I've stolen. Everyone has sinned. And the Bible goes on to say in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. That's point number two. That all have sinned, and so we fall short of God's love. Therefore, we're separated from him. Yes, God has a wonderful, loving plan for you, but we're separated from God because of our sin. This is what we see in this story of the prodigal son. If we pick it up in verse 14, it says this, After he spent everything... There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. Now, think about this, people. He thought that he was going off to have a blast. He gathered his inheritance. He's thinking, it's all about me. I'm going to go celebrate. I'm going to go do my own deal. But what happens? Inevitably, we run dry. We come to the end of ourselves. Why? Because John 10.10 says this. The thief, meaning the devil, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life most abundantly. Just as there's a loving God who has a great plan to shower his affections on you and to make you prosper, on the other side, there's an enemy who wants to destroy you. And when he leads us away on our own path where we're seeking to be our own boss and make our own way in life, it inevitably leads us to death and destruction. The wages of sin is always death. Now what happens is the young man ends up in this dire straits of a situation, in need. And verse 15 says, so he went and hired himself out to the citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. Guys, you gotta, you gotta catch this. Pigs were the most disdained animal in ancient Israel. They were known as unclean. They were known as gross. They were known as untouchable. That's the enemy's desire for you. The devil wants to reduce you to utter humiliation and destruction. And so here he is feeding the pigs, and it says that he actually longed to fill himself with the stuff the pigs were eating. He looked at that slop 
all the leftovers, all the junk. And he said, wow, I just wish I could have a little of that. That was rock bottom for him. He hit rock bottom. Verse 17, when he came to his senses. When he came to his senses. You know, I think there's a time in all of our life where we realize the life I'm living isn't working for me. Like, is this really all there is? Or, or certainly there's got to be some hope because I feel so hopeless. I'm in addiction or I'm in bondage. I'm feeling attacked. I don't have any peace. And he comes to his senses, it says, and he says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I want to go back into our three friends' stories and see how they came to their senses. I, I was a, a drug addict that hid my addictions. I went to work every day with a vial in my pocket. I made drug runs on my lunch breaks. I picked up dope after baseball practice with my kids in my car. Everything I did was surrounded by dope and dope deals. And that's, that's sickening. It leaves you lifeless. And then you're left hanging going, what am I supposed to do now? So I'm not doing drugs anymore. So what am I supposed to do? I don't want to show myself in the neighborhood. I don't want to show myself around my family because I'm so ashamed and I haven't told anybody. It's just truly sickening. So when I got clean, I still had all this shame and I didn't know where to put it. I just, I didn't know who I was supposed to talk to that could help me with this. And so that's when I started searching out uh, different churches, different people to talk to. I went to a psychologist. They asked me if I wanted to go into treatment. I'm like, no, I'm already clean. I need somebody to talk to. It was a long distance relationship that I was being two people in and she thought I was one person and she had seen a little bit of the other side of me but not the the entire story. We were dating for about two and a half years. I had cheated on her and then everything crumbled. She she found out through looking at my phone one day and uh, selfishly I wanted to just walk away and I, that was the easiest thing for me and that's what it felt like was gonna just make this end. I was left empty. I thought that I was going to be getting fulfilled in running off and doing my own thing and coming back and saying I'm this way and running off and enjoying these things. You know, I thought I was enjoying them, but you know, every morning I'd wake up and feel terrible. And uh, we ended up getting to my house and crashing into a dead end street and it was really bad. I broke my right arm in the crash. After just getting out of the car, I just realized like, Thank God I'm alive. Like, I could have just died right now. And I wasn't religious. I wasn't um, following Jesus or anything like that. I was just, you know, a fraternity guy. And, and I just, that came to mind. So I had this broken right arm. And the, the doctors, um, they didn't want to do surgery. They didn't, um, they just said it's going to heal. I ended up going back to work. I was working at Radio Shack at the time. A group of people just came in. And they came by and they saw my arm. And they're like, hey, can we pray for your arm? And I thought that was kind of strange. I'm like, well, uh, pray for my arm. Uh, okay, I mean, what, what do I have to lose, right? Somebody prayed for my arm. And I felt some heat and like, just 
something going through it. I felt different. When someone, they prayed for me, it was different, you know? And nobody's ever prayed for me like that before. And it, well, it just made me feel like loved. I don't know. I just never thought just a group of strangers would ever come up and pray for me or do anything like that and just take an interest in me even though they don't even know me. I asked them like, hey, so, you know, who are you guys? Where are you guys from? And they're like, oh, we're from All People's Church. I'll stop by sometime. And I'm like, all right, yeah. So I was looking for a community, but God ended up sending community to me. You see, there's a time in each one of our friends' lives that they came to the realization that things weren't working for them. And then I love what happened with Carlo. It was actually an encounter with some people that were very different that opened his eyes to a fresh possibility of a new life. This is definitely my story. When I went off to college, I was a mess. And as I got there, I, I, I came across a friend. I met someone who just looked totally different. A 18-year-old girl, she didn't have all the things that the world said you needed to have to be happy, to be joyful. She didn't have a nice car. She wasn't wearing the coolest clothes. She didn't have the cool friends. Her family was actually a wreck at the time. But when I talked to her, it was like she emitted peace and joy. There was just something so different. There was, there was just this radiation of love coming from her. And, and I wasn't like that. I was so insecure. I was, I was so needy, even though I had some of the things the world said that you need to be successful. And so I remember going to her and I said, girl, why are you so peaceful all the time? Why are you so joyful? I said, aren't you insecure like me? And she went, oh, Robert. She goes, I, I am so insecure that if I don't walk with Jesus moment by moment, I'm a mess. But he fills me with peace and love. And I said, I can see that. I want what you have. You see, she had actually locked into a real authentic friendship with Jesus. She actually started talking about things that I didn't have a context for, even though I had grown up religious. She talked about hearing his voice, him speaking to her. Well, later I'd go on to see that that's straight out of the Bible in John chapter 10. She'd talk about feeling his presence, feeling his presence, straight out of Psalm 16. She talked about being led by his Holy Spirit, by overflowing with the Holy Spirit. I could see she had an authentic friendship with God, and that was something I so desperately wanted. I, going back to the story of the prodigal son, verse 18 says this, this is the son, remember, he was in a desperate situation, he came to his senses and he says this, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, I've sinned. You see, this is called repentance. This is realizing that what we've done has broken the heart of our heavenly father. This is realizing that we've missed the mark. It's confessing, okay, I can't do it on my own. I messed up, and I'm sorry. That's what the son does, and it's the rightful response. He says, though, to the father, make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Now watch this next part. It's one of my favorite pieces of scripture in all of the Bible. It says this. 
But while he, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father saw him. What does this mean? This, this just shows how different God is than how I would have been. If I had one of my sons come to me and be like, Dad, I'd rather you be dead. Give me my inheritance. He takes it and then goes and squanders it in wild living, makes a, a, a fool out of himself, puts a huge mark on our family name. I think I probably would have been sitting in my big study in a huge leather chair behind a massive oak desk and just been rocking back and forth. And I wouldn't have been, you know, for the father to see him means he was standing at the edge of the property line just watching. I wonder how many days he had just been pacing back and forth watching for his son. That's not what I would have done. I would have been in my study and I would have had my son come and sit in a waiting room. I don't have a waiting room in my house, but I would want one for that punk son to sit in and to think about what he's done. And I'd probably make him wait like 30 to 45 minutes to just think about how bad he should feel. And then I'd finally have like five servants, you know, bring him in. And he'd come sulking in. I'd be like, sit down, son. And I'd sit there and be like, yes, my son, what have you done? You know, have you considered how bad you were? <laughs> you know, and I'd let him just tell me. And probably after, you know, a few sentences, I'd say, and what else have you done? And what else? You know, and. That's not how Jesus paints the Father. Look at this. It says this. It says, he saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. I want to tell you, far too many of us, we have this view. We say, you know, the man upstairs. And we think of, of God as kind of just watching us and, and, and us just, you know, probably getting in so much trouble that he is just ready to hit us with a massive backhand. Like, pop, you know, get in line. I mean, that's really what a lot of people think of when they think of God. And it says instead that he saw him and he was filled with compassion. Compassion means to suffer with. To suffer with. So the father's heart had been suffering. He'd been broken over his son. Not just angry and just wanting to just discipline him with, the, with a hard, heavy right hand. Instead, he's suffering with him. And he's just wanting him to come back, and it doesn't stop there. It gets even better. Look at this. It says this, and he ran to his son. <laughs> Have you ever thought of God running? Like we think of God on the Sistine Chapel, and he's kind of like sticking out his hand. And, and, and many of us have this picture of Jesus, and he's kind of floating around, and yes, hmm. The scripture paints God as running. I see him like Sean Connery. You know, he's, yes, my son. And just this big, noble man. And, and he's there, and you're like, no, 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 no. Don't run. That's so humiliating. And I see like this Sean Connery type figure, and he hikes up his robes. And you're like, no, 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 don't do that. And he's like, yes, my son, money penny, get my son, you know. And he's, he's running. God is running. After you, he's running to you. Father God is running to you. And it doesn't just stop there. Then it says this. He runs to him and he throws his arms around him. Like the embrace of the king of kings. The embrace of the one who spoke 
and the world was created. He spoke and light came into being and he wants to wrap his arms around you? Like I know me, you don't wanna touch me, I'm dirty. Like I've sinned, you're a perfect, clean God. Don't touch me, you'd be dirty. And yet he not only wants to throw his arms around you, but it says this, he kisses him. You know, I mean, I just see this big Sean Connery just go, yes, my son, my son. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, sometimes we have some bad days in the Herbert house. I have three boys, six, eight, and ten. Game on, Robert. And sometimes it's not pretty. But I want to tell you, at the end of the day, I end every day by putting them in bed. And I always just like to crawl on top of them, you know. And I'm like, mm, I love you. And they're all like, oh, daddy, daddy, daddy. Mm. You know, that's what God is like. It could have been a bad day in the Herbert house. But I love them because they're my sons. I love my daughter because she's mine. And that's how God is with you in your worst. When you are at your worst, God is still at his best. How, how could he be like that? How could he be that good? I mean, in the midst of us being sinful and dirty, that, that, it brings us to point number three of the gospel. Jesus died to forgive you of your sins. Yeah, I mean, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life, point one. Point two, you're separated from God because of your sin and the wages of sin is death. You deserve to go to hell and spend eternity in that place of torment and suffering. But point three, God loves you too much to let you stay there. And so the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, it's not about you being good enough to come back to God. It's about what God did by sending his son Jesus and Jesus died on the cross and when he was on that cross, he was taking the punishment for your sin. The scripture says the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. It says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we could die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. How can the father run up to a dirty, despicable Son, as a perfect God, how can he run up to the presence of a dirty, sinful person? It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he washes your sins away. I want you to look at this last part of our friend's stories and see what happened in their lives as they came to this realization. Julie found out about the truth of my life two weeks before I left. That was the first time that we prayed together, was 
when she found out that I was that I had cheated on her. We were crying together, just asking God to just fix this and fix our hearts. He rehabbed our relationship while I was on deployment. I wanted to be the man that she wanted me to be. And we came back, I came back from that deployment and we were in a place um, where we knew we wanted to get married and so we did get married. And um, God started us on a quick journey. Really soon in that journey, I felt God speak to me clearly that I needed to stop drinking. And I had set aside six months and said, I'm not even touching any of it. And it was a journey and it absolutely changed my perspective on life. I started spending time with God like I knew I needed to. And I started meeting with people in the church and really getting plugged into community and getting poured into and encouraged. Probably the moment that I uh, was seeing just how much God loved me and He had for me was the moment that we had our daughter. <laughs> as soon as our daughter was born, I was weeping, and I just knew how much He loves me, and because I love that child so dearly and just wanted to do anything for her. What feels different now, having been on this journey and what my life is like is, it's a completely different, completely different look. Uh, my wife, she still looks at me sometimes and is just like, I love who you are. I started a new job and I started realizing that a lot of the sales that I got, a lot of the interactions that I had um, were not of my own doing. I just came to the realization on my own kind of that God is real. Like I don't know what's going on. A lot of things that I was kind of praying for, asking for were happening um, and in just strange ways and I was just being provided for. Um, almost in like a supernatural way and I ended up calling my mom one day and I told her, hey mom, like." She's a Christian, and I'm like, hey, mom, God's real. I, I believe in God again. She was like, hey, you should go find a church. And I just thought back, and I just thought back to the people that prayed for me and the people that said, um, all people's church. Robert spoke, and that what really affected me. Just like, wow, he just spoke into my life right now directly. And I have no idea how that happened. So my life now is amazing. It's, it's been a journey. Um, you know, there, there were some struggles that I had to let go and it was a lot more freeing and I don't use drugs or alcohol or anything anymore. I can't explain it. I mean, God has done so many miraculous things and um, has changed me in a way um, that I would never want to go back. My son and daughter-in-law live in this great neighborhood and I met this little old lady that used to walk with me. And so she would talk to me and she would ask me how I felt about my relationship with Jesus and I told her I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, I didn't know what that was. And so she would talk to me and she would tell me, you can bow to him and you can tell him how ashamed you are and how sorry you are for what you did and he'll forgive you. And I thought, nah, not after what I've done, I mean I've, I've done some pretty horrific things and I'm not thinking anybody's ever going to forgive me. Well, um, I continued visiting with Louise and one day in February she said, so let's go over and have tea at my house. So we went over there and she, she brought out her Bible and she asked me if I was ready to read the salvation prayer and I said, what's that? And she said, that's, that's giving your life to Christ and then you'll be able to unload everything that's burdening you. I'm like, I can, I can get rid of this, this thing that's growing on me that I can never 
get away from me? And she said, yeah. And I was so ready for a new life. I was so ready to be rid of all the trash. So when we did the prayer, I literally jumped up from the, from the picnic table that we were at and shouted, thank you, God. I'm free now. I'm truly free. And, and that's really how my heart felt, is that I now have somebody to go to that will take everything for me. It's changed my life. It's completely changed my life. Isn't that awesome? You know, what, what they were experiencing is right here in verse 21. It, you see it, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It says, but the father said to his servants. I mean, the father doesn't make him stay in his anguish. The father turns to his servants and says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. What, what's that robe all about? It's about identity. Our friends were looking for identity. They were looking for meaning in life. And the father comes and clothes the child with a new identity. You're in my family now. You're created for a purpose. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to not harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. That's God's desire for your life. But he doesn't stop there. Then it says this, put a ring on his finger. In antiquity, a, a ring would symbolize the family authority, your line of credit. God was saying, I'm gonna provide your needs. You don't have to worry anymore. Life is not about you just trying to make it, trying to claw your way through to survive. No, I'm gonna provide for you. You're in my family, and now you are mine. And lastly, he goes on to put sandals on his feet. Sandals not only gave him comfort in life from walking on the hard ground, but that's also what a father would do whenever he was gonna give a new inheritance. He'd hand him a sandal, and then they would walk the corners of the property. Although this son had squandered his life, the father had a new destiny for him. Can you believe how good the father is to this child who was a punk? who basically spit in his face and said, I'd rather have you dead. The father says, I love you. I want to clothe you. I want to put a ring on your finger. I want to put shoes on your feet. This is Father God. And you hear it in the story of Carlo, surrounding him with community, pouring out favor on his life, filling his heart with joy. You hear it in Brady, reconciling his marriage, making him into the man that he always wanted to be, and you hear it in Kelly, setting her free from addictions, setting her free from pain and fear and bondage, and giving her a new life in him. The Bible says this, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Now, I I'm not telling you that you're never gonna have problems again. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he goes on to say, but lo, I have overcome the world. He is our Prince of Peace. He is our righteousness. And so when he died on the cross, he gave you an opportunity to unload your sins upon him and to be washed clean by his blood. What a paradox. To be made white as snow by red blood. But the Bible says it's by his wounds that you are healed. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. 
Why is Good Friday so good? Something so bad happened. Jesus died on the cross. He was paying for your sins, but he didn't stay in the grave after he died. After one day, two days, three days, he rose from the dead. God's power came, and he broke the power of death and sin once and for all. The stone was rolled away, and he came back as a victorious king. And now, he's extending his hands to you to give you new life. The Bible says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I wanna just take you into one last scene to see how good and loving Jesus is. There's a peace I've come to know Though my heart and flesh may fail There's an anchor for my soul I can say it is well Jesus has overcome and the grave is overwhelmed The victory is won He is risen from the dead And I will rise When He calls my name No
Jesus, wonderful. died for you. He rose again. And now just as he was in that scene, he's reaching out his hand to you. The Bible says this, with Jesus talking, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door, I'll come in and fellowship with him. I know this morning Jesus is knocking on the door of some hearts. He wants in. He alone can meet the needs of your heart. He alone can set you free. He alone can give you the love you've been longing for. He alone can give you the purpose that you were made for. And it's just about us opening this is the most important moment of the morning because this is our opportunity to make a decision. You know, the work's already been done. Jesus has paid the price. But there's a time in our lives where we've got to realize I can't do it on my own. I need a Savior. Will you give him your life? Maybe some of you are like Brady. You made a decision years ago as a child, but you know that you've walked apart from God, that you haven't been with him, and today's your day to come back. Wherever you're at, I want to just encourage you right now to bow your head and close your eyes. Just talk to God about what he's doing in your heart. All over this room, he has the ability to meet you right where you're at. For some of you, you need to nail it down today that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You need to invite him to take over, to take the throne of your heart. If you need to do that today, I want you to just pray with me. You can just repeat these words right after me. You can just say this, Jesus right after me if this is your heart's desire Jesus come into my life thank you for dying on the cross thank you for paying for my sin thank you for rising from the dead I make you my Lord and Savior Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a new life. And I'll follow you forever. While we're all praying, have our eyes focused on the Lord. Church, I just want to ask you two questions. The first is this. If you're thankful today for what Jesus did on the cross for you, you signify that just by raising your hand right now. And just tell him thank you. Just tell him thank you. Just tell him thank you for how good he's been to you. Just tell him thank you. 
put your hands down. And now my second question is this. If today you're saying, I'm making Jesus my Lord and Savior, I want my name written in the Lamb's book of life. Today, I make you my Lord. I want you to raise your hand right now. It's all over this room. Just raise your hand. Hands going up all over the place. If that's you today, you're saying, I'm making him my Lord and Savior. Just raise your hand boldly and hold it up high because I'm going to pray for you. Oh, hands going up all over this room. Hold it up because I'm going to pray for you. Just say, Pastor, I want to be included in that prayer of salvation. Just hold your hand up high. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all these ones all over this room that are proclaiming you as Lord and Savior. We thank you that nothing can separate them from the love of God, neither height nor depth nor angels or demons or nothing can separate them, and they will spend eternity with you in heaven. Prayer team, come forward really quickly. If that's you and you're raising your hand, you're saying, I'm giving my life to Jesus, or I'm coming back to Jesus, I want to give you a free gift. It's a book we've written called The Parting God. It's about God's extravagant love. It's going to help you. I just want to invite you right now to just start coming forward right now. And they, my friends are going to give you one of the books. Just come. If you're raising your hand, you come forward right now. We want to give you one of these books. Let's give these guys a hand as they're coming forward. And also, if you need prayer for healing today, you need prayer for a breakthrough. Maybe you suffered from addiction. Maybe you suffered from pain in your body. Maybe you've been in depression or despair. Maybe you need your relationship reconciled. There's probably some husbands and wives that need to come down. There might be some families that need to come down and say, we're consecrating ourselves to God. We're committing our lives afresh to Jesus. You just come now. We'll take time. We'll wait for you. But you just come. Let's give these guys a hand as they come down. God is doing great things in this place this morning. You just come. If God's tugging on your heart, don't be shy. There's nothing to be embarrassed. This is a safe place where we want to pray for you. I need some more prayer team to come forward. If I can have some life group leaders to come forward right now. If you're a life group leader, you can be down to receive people. If God's touching your heart today and you just say, I need prayer, I need someone to agree with me, we want to pray for you. If you're giving your life to Jesus, just come and say, give me one of those books that Pastor Robert was talking about. We want to put that in your hand. We want to pray for you. Don't leave this place without having an opportunity for someone to pray for you, for God to touch your life. You just come now. People are still coming. We're going to take a moment as we sing a worship song, and you come and receive prayer. And let's celebrate, church, what Jesus has done. He has paid it all. He has won the victory, and that's what Easter is all about.